This podcast is not here for those people that are trying to stay out of last place. Because those consequences don't exist for the people that are listening to this podcast. These are the people that always end up in the playoffs but can't seem to get over that hump. Or the ones who just want to dominate year after year just to show everybody else they're the champions. Guys, this is a fantasy football intervention. And we're about to intervene with your fantasy football life. is going on guys welcome on into fantasy intervention yes we got another live episode we're streaming live to twitter we're streaming live to fantasy football discussion and of course we got garrett garrett from dynasty nerds on here with us what's going on man how you doing tonight Dude, I'm doing good, man. I uh, always look forward to opportunities to be able to talk about fantasy. And, you know, here we're even digging a little bit deeper into, you know, actually how some of these offensive offenses work in real life. And so you put all these things together. It's it's a good night for me. This is a complicated sh- show sheet. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I put you through the gauntlet on this show sheet. <laughs> and I hope you're prepared because I'm not going easy on you. I'm not. We'll find out. We'll find out. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, guys, we got a bunch of stuff packed in. Uh, I actually forgot to mention this in my last episode, so I do want to make sure that I'm I'm clarifying this. I did start up a an organization. I'm pairing with a charity. The paperwork just came through today. I'm so excited for it. It's going to be called "Some Yards Are Better Than No Yards," which is an old John Madden quote. Um, we're going to be helping kids with disabilities and with special needs actually play fantasy football and really understand it. We're going to be going through, you know, injury issues. We're going to be going through trades, helping them problem solve and and communicate with other people. So I'm really, really excited. If you guys could go show your support, uh, I'll be putting the link in my, uh, (laughs) yeah, I am, I'm wearing pants right now. I had to go on a bike ride just for record. Anyways, I'm going to put the link to my, to my new company in the description underneath my, my profile on Twitter. I'll be doing the same for, of course, Facebook as well. So welcome on in, all you Twitter people and people that are in fantasy football discussion. we got a great episode coming up. We're going to be discussing offensive line effects on running backs. Oh, yeah. People don't realize, man. People don't realize how much of an effect an offensive line has. They think that, you know, just if you throw, you know, any running back out there that it's going to work. Right. So Yeah, it's it has so much to do. You know, you see teams that might not have these top tier uh, running backs, but they have these quality offensive lines and, you know, really good schemes that, that make a huge difference. And so, uh, yeah, it's a lot of running success has a lot more to do uh, with, uh, with the offensive line than it does a running back. Typically. I have to ask you this because Axel is on, I don't even see your name Axel, by the way, I just know it's you because you've asked me this every single time. Are you wearing pants right now? Am I wearing pants? Yes. Uh, I'm wearing shorts here. I'll even, I'll prove it. Uh, no problem. You know, I got, got shorts <laughs> on right now. All right. So he I think we're, I think we're good time. now. There have been times that I've done this without. Oh, so dude, I used to do it every, good night. every Sunday morning. I do a live show on fantasy football discussion and I take questions in and I always put on a collared shirt, long sleeve collared shirt with a tie. Look real nice, Ooh, but I'm never plastic. wearing pants. So they figure that out. <laughs> they figure that out after like my third or fourth episode. And now they have to ask me every time. See if I'm wearing nice. pants. <laughs> so, all right, we're going to go into these scheme changes. 
Uh, first, certain teams did hire new offensive coordinators. We could see certain schemes change up. The first one we're going to discuss is the Broncos with Schirmer. Um, he does run some wide zone run schemes plays out of 11 personnel, but is that actually always the system that he runs out of? Or, you know, what's his, uh, what's his scheme, I should say, for the run game? So it's interesting. You have a kind of an interesting conversation when you get to these offensive coordinators, coordinators and their, their schemes, because sometimes they have blocking schemes that they prefer, but ultimately it, it also comes down to the offensive line coach as well. And so you kind of have a marriage because sometimes yeah, the system that the offensive coordinator uses might not always be the same that the, the offensive line coach traditionally uses. And so sometimes you get some married systems because of that. So Shermer runs, uh, does run a lot of zone scheme, uh, a lot of outside zone. He did that quite a bit specifically, uh, when he was in Minnesota, uh, as well, but he, he also ran it, uh, with, with New York. Uh, but now in Denver, he has Mike Munchak, uh, and, uh, Munchak runs primarily zone schemes. So you go from Shermer that runs mostly zone schemes, but you'll see some man, you'll see some gap, you'll see different things like that. But when he's partnering up with Munchak, my guess is between the two guys, we're going to see primarily inside and outside zone from the two of them. All right. Typically with, with outside wide zone run schemes, the guy that you want is a guy that has burst and has speed, but also is a bigger, more physical guy. Derrick Henry is the perfect example of it. We saw it with yep. Latavius Murray. We saw it with Steven Jackson. Even Saquon Barkley, a guy that can just get out, of, get his ass out of the backfield, essentially. Right? Yeah. Like you want him to run diagonal at like a 45-degree angle to the tackle's you know, right shoulder, to his outside shoulder, or left mm -hmm. shoulder if he's going left. And you want him to get out, find the crease, and just cut up field and run. Typically, if he gets up to full speed... You know, even if he comes in contact with a defensive lineman, he's still going to fall forward because he has the momentum. So, you know, forgetting contracts, forgetting who got signed for, by the Broncos, obviously with Melvin Gordon there, forgetting all that stuff, who's actually the best running back that fits in that system? So with what they have now, and I'll get to who would be a good fit, but with what they have now, uh, that was part of the reason that Royce Freeman wasn't successful. The guy just didn't have enough speed to be able to get to the outside. And that's why we saw Philip Lindsay be a little bit more successful because he had more of the speed, but he lacked some of the ideal size. So I think that's why they brought in a guy like Melvin Gordon. I think he'll do just fine in this scheme. Um, but you're right. Traditionally in an outside zone scheme, you're looking for uh, a guy that has good speed but is really a one cut and go guy it's not a guy that's going to be doing a bunch of dancing it's not a guy that's going to have like all this really fancy footwork um you know a perfect guy for them uh a perfect guy for them would have been if they would have drafted a guy like jonathan taylor jonathan taylor oh is a God. perfect fit for you know an outside zone running scheme he's he's a one cut and go and man he's got wheels for days so he would be kind of the ideal fit isn't he like oh man he would be perfect but I mean, people don't understand why I say that Aaron Jones isn't ideal for Green Bay. And it's because sure. he does a little bit too much dancing. If you go to, to Next Gen Stats, right? If you go to Next Gen Stats, you look up Aaron Jones' uh, run charts. You see games where he only has like 10 or 11 carries and only like 40 yards, where he probably got pulled that game. And I go back and I cross-reference it with Jamal Williams. Turns out Jamal Williams played more snaps than he did. It's because when you watch his run charts, 
He's cutting back and forth instead of finding the crease and getting upfield. And, and right. it drives me nuts when people are like, look how big of a season he had. No, no. LaFleur, if, if you don't do what LaFleur wants, he's going to pull you out of the game. And Aaron yep. Jones is not the guy. He's not big enough. He's not fast enough to gain the momentum to hit a defensive lineman and push them backwards, gaining two or three yards even if he doesn't, you know, have a breakaway run. Like if he ends up, you know, getting right. in the backfield, he just, Aaron Jones is not the right fit for what LaFleur wants. Not saying that Aaron Jones isn't talented. We'll get to him later in the episode, but you need that guy that can get his ass out, that finds the hole and just goes upfield and is not afraid of contact. Right. That's also why you see guys like Icky Woods, for example, being successful for one, two, three years and then falling off a map because they they make these these players hit that hole and, and pretty much just ignore all possible injury, you know, risk. Like you hit that hole, you get contact and you get the fuck up field. Like yep. we don't want you trying to avoid contact. We don't care if you take a hit, just make sure you gain yards in the process. Yep. Yep. You're constantly moving forward. You're constantly falling forward. And, and it's, it's, you know, it can be detrimental at times. There's guys that can get away with it, but you know, trying to cut back across field and things like that, like it's really tough to do. So, you know, the nice part is you, you, when you have guys with good vision, they, they can just be so successful in this scheme. So good vision, one cut speed, and you're good to go. All right. So that brings us on to our next team. Right, we have a right. brand new system coming in with Stefanski, and you said that that the offensive scheme has to be on the same page as the offensive line coach, right? Right. So, is Callahan on the same page as Stefanski? They are in lockstep. This is going to be a thing of beauty for the Cleveland Browns offense because what we have here is Bill Callahan also runs this outside zone. Stefanski comes from Minnesota where that's that's what they were doing with Dalvin Cook. And honestly, for his shortcomings as a head coach, Callahan is a very very good offensive line coach. He understands the these schemes. I think he's, he's one of the best incredible. in the NFL history and people don't understand it when I say that. It's like Every single team that he's gone to, their offensive line has gotten significantly better, and he's had trash to work with, especially with my team, the Washington football team. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was it was complete trash, but yet he still had decently, you know. Uh, Adrian Peterson outlook. still looked relevant, even though he's <laughs> five years past his prime. Dude, it was crazy, and and to be honest with you, you. I have a few of my followers that know, you know, that listen to the show and everything like that. I talk about how I wanted Washington to go out and grab Stefanski and keep Bill Callahan there as an offensive assistant. And I was so pissed, so pissed when we got Ron Rivera without even taking a few seconds to interview these guys. And then the Browns go and get Callahan Stefanski. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, that's exactly what you wanted. This is what I wanted. And it would have protected, uh, it would have protected Haskins in the process, but it didn't happen. So I I like a lot of things that the Washington football team is doing as far as some of their personnel, but, but yeah, I'm actually a Cleveland Browns fan. So this was, this was something for me to get, get very excited about. And when you talk about a player that fits Nick Chubb, is is a, a prototype for an outside zone runner. He's the I perfect mean, dude for that system. Perfect. And we're already talking about a team that was a subpar offensive line last year. Um, but really in, their interior offensive line wasn't bad. It was the tackle position that they were really struggling with. So what did they do? They added a guy in Jack Conklin, who was the, the uh, uh, bulldozer there for yeah. Derrick Henry in their scheme. 
and then you have uh, they drafted in the first round. They drafted a left tackle as well. And so the the two biggest weaknesses they've addressed the interior offensive line is good. They add a fit that is perfect for the running backs that we have in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. It's it's going to be really really nice this year. Quick answer. Yeah. Hunt resigned with the Browns in 2021. No. Okay. I don't think so either. Is there enough workload to support both these backs, however, this year? Because that does scare me a little bit because if, if there is enough workload, if there is enough workload for both these guys, both these guys can succeed in the system. I mean, yeah. it, it is possible. And that obviously takes away value from both these guys. So it scares me a little bit with the possibility of resigning. I don't believe he resigns either, but is there enough workload to go around? And can we see a, a you know, a double team pretty much of, of two running backs being both potentially top 12 guys with the workload they could get. Yeah. I think both guys are going to be super relevant. I mean, we look at last year while, while Hunt was on the field, both guys were RB twos, you know, now you wanted a little bit more out of Nick Chubb. You wanted him in that RB one range, but he was still, you know, hovering around that 10 to 14, 15 range. And then Hunt was just a couple spots behind. But as I mentioned earlier, we're adding a, a beautiful system much better offensive coordinator than we had in Freddie kitchens the the previous year. Uh, and, and you fixed your biggest holes on your offensive line, which were left tackles. And Nick Chubb was already averaging five yards per rush before all that. Yeah. So it, I, I expect Nick Chubb to come in the year, be probably a top eight guy, nine guy. And I think Kareem hunt will probably, I don't know that'll quite crack RB one status, but I do think that he'll be, you know, in that, 13 to 18 range i think that's where he'll end up and it'll they'll both be great so is obviously you being a browns fan i mean where do you have baker mayfield ranked this is kind of a surprise question i don't have it on the show sure. sheet but uh where do you have baker mayfield ranked do you think he's the he's being drafted as the 10th uh best or the the 10th overall quarterback in dynasty would you take him that high I think that's about right. The tough part is his ceiling is going to be a little bit capped, I think, because of how much they're going to run the football. But once again, you know, I, I've harped on it. The, those those tackles were a nightmare. And, and Baker did not have a lot of time. One of one of our guys at Dynasty Nerds, Jared Wackerly, he actually put together a throw Mayfield through last year. And about 75% of those were actually off of wide receivers' hands. So really anything that could go wrong did go wrong. Uh, Freddie Kitchens was, uh, he was in over his head. Nice guy. He didn't really know what was going on. I mean, even, even the last week of the season, Oda Beckham Jr. was still asking where to line up at times. So, I mean, they were changing things on the fly as they went. There was no continuity. There was no. There's a little bit of the optimistic side of me with being a fan. Um, But, but yeah, I think that's about the right range. He was crazy, crazy successful on play action stuff. That's what they're going to do a lot of in this system. So yeah, I think about, I think 10's right in the right range there. My concern with, with Baker Mayfield is the red zone attempts. So he attempted Mm -hmm. uh, like 72 or 74. I don't have the numbers in front of me. uh, Red zone attempts last year. Kirk Cousins last year under Stefanski only attempted 51. However, they were in the red zone quite often. So sure. if he doesn't have those red zone attempts, I mean, you're taking away what? If, if he attempted 20 less, that could potentially be four touchdowns, five touchdowns, that he could score less than what he scored last year. And he still finished out as QB 20 or something. So Yeah, a lot of it had to do with the efficiency, though. Like efficiency even- might go up. I think efficiency will go up. But yeah. When you take away volume, man, I mean, volume for me is, is number one ahead of 
almost anything else when it comes to how I evaluate my guys. I mean, obviously, sure. you have to have a balance of things. Like, I don't like Le'Veon Bell behind a offensive line that was put together on the fly. You know, this upcoming year, like maybe in 2021, if he's still on the team, but you know, this upcoming year, I don't really love Le'Veon Bell, but just True. because I want continuity in my my offensive line, I want consistency. But yeah, I, I just it, I, I just don't know if the volume's going to be there. Yeah, it is interesting. the The funny part is though, and and I get why that's that's you know what we bring up because they were the the fourth most heavy run team uh, in the league last year. Speaking of the Minnesota Vikings, but actually the year before. Uh, they were actually on the opposite end. They were at like 22 or 27 or something like that. They were a much heavier pass team. So my guess is it might not be quite that heavy, um, especially when you have some diva players like OBJ and Jarvis Landry. And they did invest in a guy in in Austin Hooper, who I think they are going to want to target in the red zone as well. So uh, it'll be interesting. I I think you're right to be nervous as far as his ceiling. I think his ceiling's capped. I I know before he was being drafted as this top five guy in Dynasty, and that was probably too high. But I think he's much safer now that I would be shocked if he – you know, finish below QB 13, 14, you know, and I think he could be as high as seven or eight. Last thing I'm going to say, and then we're going to move on to the Panthers. Cause obviously, you know, we're trying to talk about offensive lines, but I just hope sure. that, that, uh, uh, Conklin coming in, you know, just kind of deletes the image in my head of Baker Mayfield doing like this paddle, you know, pedal back while <laughs> roll out to the right. And then just throwing off his back, you know, back leg. Like that's ingrained in my head. When I think of Baker Mayfield, I think of one play, play him back pedaling, rolling, right. And then just throwing off his back leg. Like, I swear that was all he did head. the first five weeks of the season last year. It was awful. Dude, it was brutal. Like, I, I stopped. <laughs> like, I'm like, what is he doing? Like, who, where's the coaching? Where's the yep. coaching? All right, so on to the Panthers. We don't need to spend much time. It is, you know, a coaching change, so I did want to cover it. Um, but it is Christian McCaffrey, so of course I, I have to address the Panthers. What do you expect with rule system? So it's interesting. You have this you have this air raid type system that you have um, and air Cordell is also another one that they, they talk about. But it's 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 basically this vertical passing attack um, is what you're going to see a lot of. And, and you saw a lot of that with Joe Brady as well. And so I, I think it's it's going to be a system predicated on passing the ball. But we have one of the best pass catching running backs in Christian McCaffrey in the league. So I, I do still think he's going to get his touches in that. And, and also we have, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, who's the interesting part is he's not necessarily a guy that throws the ball deep down the field. So it's kind of an in- interesting mix there because the, the system doesn't necessarily match up with the quarterback that they brought in. So I'm very interested to see if they implement more, maybe, maybe some West coast type of stuff, or, um, you know, I'm going to be really, really interested to see how, how that all works out, but we do have a zone blocking scheme, uh, primarily from what we saw of Joe Brady, what he did with, um, with Clyde Edwards, Alaire last year. Now, I keep saying these in generalities of, you know, typically they run a, a zone blocking scheme or typically they run a, a, you know, gap blocking scheme or blah, blah, blah. Almost none of these coaches run that system exclusively. Almost all of them will implement, hey, I want to run power, which is more of a gap blocking scheme. Or, you know, I want to run a trap, which is, you know, a man blocking scheme. So almost no teams will only exclusively run one or the other. But we do have 
primarily what teams will do. So Wait, primarily, are the Titans an exception, I or are they included in what you're saying? Say that again. Are the Titans an exception, or are they included in what you're saying? Uh, they're somewhat of an exception. They're somewhat <laughs> of an exception. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and even honestly, Callahan does almost exclusively zone. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to get to, um, you know, another guy that we're going to talk about, uh, Mark Colombo's system with the New York giants. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but e- even in those, those systems where it's almost hundred percent, they'll still switch it up here and there. All right. So for, well, Rich Dotson's over there shouting out Curtis Samuel. Do you have any he thoughts on Curtis Samuel? <laughs> well, with, with Teddy Bridgewater not being a downfield guy, Curtis Samuel is 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 a an A dot type player where he he tends to go closer to the line of scrimmage. Now they used him as the deep threat last year. Yeah, wasn't he? And that didn't really work pers- out too yeah. well. What the, was that? He had the most uh what was it? Uh air yards? Air yards, yeah. yeah. He had the most air yards last year. So yeah, that was the that was the confusing part because out of college he was a much more closer to the line of scrimmage guy, and so they were kind of using him out of pocket. But so now they got I Robbie Anderson now, to stretch the field, so they can have DJ Moore as their X, and they can have Curtis Samuel underneath. And exactly, Robbie Anderson exactly. stretching the field. So of course it's a great time. Are Ian Thomas owners a year too early? Because obviously with Joe Brady's system, like they didn't really use the tight end. Uh, with, yeah. with Matt Rule's system, I I don't remember me actually noticing that they used the tight end. I didn't really look into Not it. Not a lot. But, I mean, Ian Thomas, like, I think they're a little bit too high up right now. Like, I wanted him to break out, but I don't think that sure. coaching scheme is going to allow that, especially – you know, with not the greatest, they still have a good offensive line, but not the greatest offensive line. You're going to have to ask them to stay in a block on a good amount of occasions, right? Yeah, it, it's it's disappointing because I was a big Ian Thomas fan as well. Uh, I was kind of hoping the year before that Greg Olson would move on, and, yeah. and you know, it didn't didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's going to be tough. That I don't know that that breakout's going to quite happen this year. I still think it'll be pretty <laughs> pretty steady. Um, Matt Donnelly yeah. over there. <laughs> I think I still think it'll be pretty steady. Uh, but but yeah, I don't I don't see him cracking the top 12. And if he does, it will be like at 12. All right. So who's going to be the backup to Christian McCaffrey? Because we obviously will have a lot of Christian McCaffrey owners. He should be rostered in most leagues. Right. No, I'm just yeah. Kidding, who's going to be the, the oh, yeah. handcuff? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess you could have him if you want I a mean, guy yeah, that, you know, will win you leagues and whatnot. Uh, I think I think it's a uh, Bonafin, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, everything I'm seeing and reading uh, that that's who it sounds like it will be. Um, to be honest, I don't know a lot about him. I still don't expect. Uh, every year we say, you know, he, he needs to be on the field less and he needs to to lower his touches. You know, he's going to get hurt. And every year they just keep pounding him the football. So I don't expect that to change. <laughs> Fucking dollar. All right. Um, now, I mean, so Beat Reporter just came out the other day and actually said that they expect Davis to take over the, the role. That's really? why it became a question. Yeah. Um, really? I hadn't heard that yet. It was, well, what are I hear? Rotowire? Anyways, okay. I, I saw a beat reporter somewhere say that, that Davis was actually going to be the expected one. So that's why I wanted that's to bring it up. Didn't know. I, I expected Bonifin to do it. I didn't expect in a million years that Mike Davis would be the one. But if you guys think that Mike Davis or Bonifin will be the guy taking over the workload, leave it in the comments for us. Let's see how many people think it will go which way or the other. All right. And you know what? At their price, if you're really wanting to make sure that you have the handcuff, you can get them both pretty easily. Yeah, uh, but that's taking up so much space for a backup. It is. 
And honestly, I don't know that either of them are going to be that good. Like yeah. McCaffrey's a special talent. They're not going to be able to to put up nearly what 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 it's he's be DJ more time is what's going to happen. <laughs> or it will be Curtis Samuel. <laughs> Curtis Samuel. You know what? They they would be a team that like all of a sudden I wouldn't be shocked if like if for some reason Christian McCaffrey went down and they're, they're somehow competing with all of those rookies that they have on defense. Uh, you know, I could see them be a team that could go out and like trade for a guy like Le'Veon Bell or something like that. All right. So moving on to the giants, cause that's what we wanted to talk about next. We got Jason Garrett. Yes, sir. He's moving over there. Right. And it's interesting yep. because I love him as an offensive coordinator, but I feel like he just left his, you know, lost his pizzazz, you know, as an <laughs> offensive coordinator, because yeah. dude, being an offensive coordinator and a head coach is so much more difficult. And people don't realize it. Like you have to manage the clock. You have to manage your substitutions. You have to know who's on the field at all times and you know who to call plays for. Like there is so much that goes on and, and people don't realize it. And it's draining. It is mentally yeah. draining to the point of you just becoming you know, the, the whole the whole gif or gif or whatever you want to call it. Yep. Like, there's no sizzle there. There's nothing left. And, you know, some guys like Shermer and Jason Garrett are just better as offensive coordinators. They just are. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So, are you excited for this Giants offense with Jason Garrett, you know, kind of getting a fresh breath of air, you know, not being under Jerry Jones' heel and now going and, and kind of being a mentor? if you want to call it that for uh, Joe, um, Joe judge, Joe judge. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it was a really good fit. Um, I think that Jason Garrett, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. He's a much better coordinator than he is a head coach. He's, he's not a guy that really ever seemed to really inspire his team uh, that nobody ever really seemed to like be behind him. It, it was, it was always kind of a weird thing. And every year it was like, okay, this he's out after this year. He's out after this year. He's out after this year. And you know, that happens <laughs> he's on the hot like, seat. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, he just always was back. Uh, so, you know, even when they said that he's probably out after this year, I still wasn't sure about it. So, but yeah, he's, he's finally gone. The interesting thing is he brought Mark Colombo with him. Uh, and Mark Colombo was his, his offensive line coach for a majority of his tenure, uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. There was uh, a period of time where there was a different guy in there, but Colombo runs almost exclusively, uh, outside and inside zone. So I think that's what we're going to get out of Saquon Barkley. Now, the thing about Saquon is Saquon fits all schemes. Like, the scheme doesn't no, really no matter for Saquon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, he fits everything. You can tell him that he's by himself back there and he fits. Uh, but uh, I, I think he'll be just fine uh, in, in this scheme. The, the nice part about zone blocking is you don't always have to have these. Um, you don't always have to have the most talented offensive linemen. Uh, to you, you just have to have guys that can 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 move and and be road graders, and and I think yeah. they're trying to build and, that with the New York Giants. Off. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. No, and, and they all have to be in unison. They have to have you know camaraderie essentially. Right. You know, it's right. Like, and I think they're starting to build that there with the Giants offensive line. They spent some draft capital there. Um, they have Zeitler there. Uh, they have, um, who's, who's the guy with the Patriots Solder, uh, who's kind of past his prime at this point. Uh, but I still think he's a serviceable player. So they, I think they actually have a decent offensive line. Uh, and when you have a guy as talented as Barkley, he helps cover up some of those 
shortcomings as well. So I, I expect good things. I think it's a, it's going to be a good system. I think that we're going to see a lot better things uh, out of Jason Garrett as their, their coordinator. And you have, you have a good young, exciting athletic quarterback in Daniel Jones. Well, I think my favorite thing about the giants was, you know, you looked in Dallas and how they built their offensive line, you know, just draft pick after draft pick after draft pick after draft pick, just spent on offensive line, right? And this past year in the draft, mm-hmm. they spent three draft picks, a, a first, a third, and a fifth on offensive linemen. And honestly, I had, yep. uh, I think his name is Matthew Pert, Matt Pert, 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 uh, whatever it was. Uh, I had him actually ranked as a early third, late second rounder. And what did they get him at? They got him... Yeah, Matt Pert. They got him with the twentieth pick in the third round. Oh no, wait. They Next. got him. They got him in the third round, regardless. So I feel like they still got value on him. I had him as a second round pick. Um, I just, I honestly feel like they're going to do the same thing here, like they did in Dallas with Saquon, who I, I'm not going to say is ultimately better than Ezekiel Elliott, but can do more things at a higher level than Ezekiel Elliott. Like I feel like Ezekiel Elliott's sure. more well rounded. Wow, Saquon Barkley has more upside with certain things. Like, we watched his breakaway runs, just run after run after run in 2018. And it was mainly because they were, you know, loading the box to stack the box, and he, he wouldn't go down. He was breaking away right. 80-yard runs time after time. And I think we're going to see it again coming up here in, in 2020, 2021, and, and beyond. So, absolutely. yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm really, really excited for Saquon, and I'm right there, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about, like, like 0.05% chance that, that Christian McCaffrey is better than Saquon. I'll probably, by the time the season starts, have Saquon above Christian McCaffrey. All right. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't blame you, right? I actually think in my, in my dynasty ranks, I have Saquon ahead, which seems crazy after what, what we saw McCaffrey do last year. But, you know, we, part of what made him so successful is just the crazy amount of touches and the crazy amount of catches. There's a chance although low, there is a chance that that, that does regress uh, to the mean quite a bit this year. I, would, I think everyone assumes they'll regress at least a little bit, uh, but, but it could regress quite a bit. They a massive contract. Like, they have to keep him healthy, right? I mean... You would think. It's a, CMC is a special guy. He's a special dude. He's special. Oh, for sure. He's very special. But at the same time, nobody can stay healthy with that workload. Like, especially a guy his size, which I'm a small dude, so I'm, I'm not trying to insult any small guys out there. But... I don't know, man. I just can't see the same workload happen again this year, especially after that contract. I think it's actually, you know, a hit to his fantasy value that he signed a longer contract there. All right. So on to, back to Barkley, you know, he got hurt last year and obviously they want him to be a big part of the plan. You know, you saw Garrett obviously push for the resign of Ezekiel Elliott, you know, in Dallas. Could they lessen the workload for Barkley by bringing in Lewis on third downs? Or do you think that's, you know, not even remotely close? Like, you don't think that there's a chance in hell that happens? I would be surprised if it happened very often. You might see that happen, you know, twice in a game um, or two series maybe in a game. But I think I think regularly he's going to be I think he's going to be on the field for all three downs. All right. And then, yeah. You want to give a, a shout out to your rankings for Dynasty Nerds? Yeah. Um as far as what, like where I have guys or? Well, if you guys go and check out DynastyNerds.com, right? Garrett has his yep. rankings on the site, correct? Correct, I do, yep. So I have uh, one QB ones and I have uh, Debbie ones. Sorry, log me out of the system. I actually had Dynasty 
nerds site up with your rankings on it, but it kicked me out because I wasn't active. Um, I'll put that. Oh. I'll put that link in the comments, guys. Uh, here in a second, as soon as it pops up, so you guys can go check out his rankings at Dynasty Nerds. All right, on to Jay Gruden. <clears throat> he was extremely right. successful offensive coordinator. Contrary to popular belief, I saw. I don't. I don't get it. Like I don't understand why certain experts, quote unquote, were like hating on Jay Gruden's offensive coordinator. Like I saw this one thing posted where, you know, he was like last in points scored, and and like you know, it was it was absurd because if people don't remember, like he was actually extremely extremely successful in Cincinnati prior to coming to really yep. to, to the Redskins or to the Washington Football Team. I bet. I don't understand where <laughs> the hate comes while. from. Yeah, dude, it, you should see me with the with the Raiders, man. That took like a month. Five I still say San week. Diego Chargers sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean Ben Jarvis Green Ellis was fantasy relevant, right? Cedric Benson was was fantasy relevant, and I, I just I don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it has more to do with. I think people just don't like him. And I think they find excuses to uh, say that he's garbage as a coordinator, as a coach, more so because he he's just not a super likable character. And so I think I think that's what it has more to do with, because you're absolutely right. He's a very good offensive <laughs> mind, very good offensive coordinator. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's what it has more to do with. <laughs> he loves the nightlife. I mean, yeah, I, I can understand that. Um... I just, I, I don't get it. I mean, what's the system that he's going to bring into Jacksonville? So as far as Jacksonville, they're, they're retaining their uh, offensive line coach from, from this past season. Uh, so they're going to have some continuity there. Uh, so my guess is that they're still going to be running uh, somewhat of a mix. So I think they will be doing some, um, some inside and outside zone. Uh, but also we're going to see uh, a little bit of, uh, of gap uh, scheme so that way they can run power and counter and some of those types of things. Uh, so I think they're going to be a little bit more of a mix than we see with some of these other teams. So, so there's not going to be any kind of one system or another, and that could actually benefit Leonard Fournette because like you said about, you know, Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette would be better in certain systems, but I don't think he's completely system dependent, right? Right. I would agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, if, if there was any real big knock on Leonard Fournette, it would be that he, he's been injury prone in the past, which he was very healthy last season. And he's not a great catcher of the football, which he was incredible as far as his reception totals last year. So uh, there's a lot of hate surrounding him right now. And I think it's I think it's more to do with his his future is very blurry because the future of what Jacksonville is trying to do is very blurry. And so that's why I think there's a lot of skepticism around him, but he could absolutely be a league winner this year uh, with the type of numbers that he could potentially put up and where he's getting taken in drafts. Well, the worst part is man is his organization isn't even getting his back because he's caused so many issues with his organization. So, You know, it is what it is, but is Chris Thompson really a threat to his workload? I mean, he had 77 catches last year. Chris Thompson is a teacher's pet or coach's pet. Like, is he, yep. like, is he really going to take away? Is he really a threat to, to Leonard Fournette's production, especially since Leonard Fournette wasn't really efficient last year? If Jay Gruden can improve his efficiency, I feel like Leonard Fournette should actually be increased value versus decreased value. 
It's going to be really interesting. It's, it's going to be tough to know what to project with Thompson. My gut is he's not much of a threat. I don't think he's that talented of a player. He's a, he's a very good catcher of the football, but he's not doing anything between the tackles. So if anything, he's going to be only on used on third down. And even there, I'm not sure at this point in his career, uh, he's, he's not a spring chicken anymore. So he, he's not this young gun out there with all this energy anymore. And it's, it, 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 I feel bad for the guy, but he can't stay on the field. He, he just can't stay healthy. And so at this point, I don't think he's a super huge threat. Uh, I think he'll lose, you know, maybe some of his third down workload, but I don't think they're going to completely remove him altogether from third down. So maybe there's a slight downtick, but you're right. I think the efficiency could go up. So I don't think that there's going to be a major drop off. Yeah. I mean, so he had a drew crate. I'm looking at player profile.com and they had a drew crate of uh, only 16.7%, which was 46th among active running backs. However, he had 19 evaded tackles, which means that he was breaking a lot of tackles, which means that he was taking a lot of hits. So mm-hmm. if you can't evade tackles, I mean, honestly, like with Leonard Fournette, his value for me long term isn't there, but his value this season could be there. So let's fast forward to the end of the season. Fill in the blank. Okay. Damn, I should have drafted Leonard Fournette in the what round? We're talking redraft, right? Redraft. Uh, we normally do dynasty because I do believe like his value falls off for just this year. Like if you're a team sure. that is is going for a championship, right? And right. you know, let's not even say draft. Like let's not, we're using drafted just for context, you know, for for value purposes. But if if you're a championship team and even in dynasty, and you need one guy to kind of get you over the hump to ensure that win, right? right. What round? in dynasty drafts, I guess, would you, you know, consider him valued at? Yeah. So if I'm doing a startup, um, I would, I would be willing to take him in the, probably the fourth round uh, or early fourth, maybe even I, I tend to, I tend to wait on running back a little bit. So um, I don't know that I'd be those guys, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not, not that I avoid them altogether. It depends on the situation. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's the most turnover that, that you have at any position. And so long-term the value is, is tougher for these guys that are in their third, fourth, fifth seasons. It's kind of tough to take them much higher than that, uh, unless they're truly special. And so uh, my guess is around fourth, but, um, but if, if I'm, if I'm a contender, yeah, what I'm are you trading for him? I'm, Let's put it that way. What do you what would you be willing to trade for him if you're a contender? So you have a late first round pick, late second round pick, like you know, what, what are you looking to package for him in draft capital wise? Yeah, for, for I'd be willing drafts. to give my first and second if I'm a if I'm a contender. I'm absolutely willing to give my first and second for, for 2021. All right, awesome, man. So what the hell is going on in Washington? <laughs> We're gonna pop from Jay Gruden <laughs> on to, to Washington because I'm a fan for 31 years. And All I'm right. considering jumping ship, not completely. You know, I always, you know, have that that special spot in my heart, you know, but the way the roster moves are going and and the way that the organization operates, it's really tough to be a fan to to represent because all a fan is doing is representing that organization because they like that organization, what they do. But Washington's so fucked up, man. It it like, you know, it it makes me sick to watch their moves ever since McLuhan. Like I've been ready to kind of move on, but I haven't. I've just gotten more and more into fantasy football to the point that I'm, you know, just obsessed with it now because I can control my own future versus them. You know, we we saw Rivera go there, and you said you liked some of his moves. You know, you you liked his his moves on the dance floor, right? That's what you're referring right. to, I'm guessing. But we watched like him make Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams, you know, Christian McCaffrey extremely successful. 
Not saying it was all him, but, you know. The Washington football team has like 20 freaking running backs on their roster. <laughs> you know, which one fits into Rivera's system the best? So it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I am a big Darius Geis truther. I think he is a, I think he's a very, uh, very, very talented player. Um, and yes, he's, he's been injured like crazy. Is it bad luck? Is he injury prone? You know, I know you, you just had a football doc on, so I'm sure he talked all about his, his philosophy yep. on injury prone. Um, so, so he was I, actually I don't extremely reserved on Darius Geis because he's like, you know, we don't really know yet what's happening. I don't have records of right. his injuries. He's like, this is the most mysterious person you know, when it comes to potential, you know, future fantasy output, essentially. Right, right. So it's, it's a very high risk reward. But um, the, the system that they're bringing in, Ron Rivera also brought his, his uh, offensive line coach with him. Um, and so it's John Maxco or Matsko. I, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, correctly Matsko. Um, but dude, dude's been in, in the league like, 40 some years for coaching. He's been coaching offensive line 26, 28, 30 years. I don't know. He's been doing it forever. Um, him and Ron Rivera real close. Uh, he brought him along with them. And so he runs kind of this hybrid of inside zone and a power running scheme. Uh, that's kind of what he has done for most of his career. Uh, so that to me is a really good fit for Darius guys, who is, is a very physical, a very powerful running back. Uh, even though he's not this Derrick Henry in stature, um, he, he plays, he plays angry. Um, you know, you see some shades of, of, um, Marshawn Lynch when you watch him play, when you watch him play at LSU and some of the games that he has, he has had some to been able to stay on the field, the three or four games that he's actually been able to play uh, for the Washington football team. So uh, I think it's a good fit for him. Uh, Gibson is, is really interesting. I know a lot of people are really, really high on Gibson. The, the tough part for Gibson with me is one uh, he's, he's going to be used more as a weapon than he is going to be used as a true between the tackles running back. And uh, I have a guy that I know that is a, um, he's really connected with the Washington Redskins inside of their organization and whatnot. And that's what he's been preaching so far as well, that they're going to utilize Gibson more as a weapon more than they're going to say that he's a running back or a wide receiver or anything like that. So my guess is if, if healthy guys is going to be getting a bulk of the carries and you're going to see a lot of these guys, Peyton Barbers and, and all of that, they're just all going to be fighting for one or two backup jobs. But I think they're really counting on guys being the guy and then having um, Gibson be a weapon, but also utilize out of the backfield at times. But what if Gibson like really shines as a weapon? Like what if he, mm-hmm. you know, every time he gets the ball, he's averaging, you know, over five yards carry type thing. Couldn't he take over like a, you know, bell cow or workhorse type back? Maybe not workforce, but Belk, how would be more appropriate? Potentially, potentially it's, it's tough. He was, he was the third string running back uh, for a team that is not even a power five conference. So even though Memphis has done a good job of churning out running backs, we're, we're basing everything off of 40 carries really. So he's very, very, very raw uh, at this point because he focused most of his attention uh, to playing wide receiver. That's what he played for most of his career while he was at Memphis. And it wasn't really until there were some injuries that started happening that he got to run the football at all. So 
my guess is it's going to be tough to count on him in that role. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I, it seems more unlikely to me at this point. So my guess is as far as their, their main, their, at least their one a in their system, it's either going to be guys or he's not currently on the team. All right. So when it comes to, to guys, right. Mm-hmm. Are you going to cuff him? If you take guys, if you draft guys, are you going to cuff them? I mean, at this point, probably not, honestly. Now, I get the I get the reasoning behind doing it because of how injury prone he is. But at this point, I don't know who to cuff him with. Uh, is Adrian Peterson? Is it question, if it is who? Yeah, and that's the tough part. I mean, Bryce Love uh, could could easily get involved there, but it's always tough too, when there's a new regime that comes in and they didn't draft any of these guys outside of Gibson. So we know Gibson will be involved, but I don't know <laughs> who would take up and, and, and take that job. So, uh, at this point, I, I, I don't think it's worth doing. <laughs> Dude, I can't, I can't do a podcast with Matt Donnelly commenting. I, I asked him to come <laughs> comment because I was like, Dude, where are your comments at? I went on Twitter and asked him. And then he throws up all this freaking these comments and I can't do a podcast with him, man. I can't concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So there's no way knowing, you know, what's going to change and who's going to be coaching where, you know, who gets resigned, et cetera, et cetera. But people listen to me know that I like to get ahead of the bell curve or I'm sorry, not ahead of the bell curve, ahead of the curve. You know, I like to try. We're and, talking bell cow. It's easy to get confused. Yeah. yeah. Well, damn Connolly over here. So. <laughs> I like to get ahead of the curve and I like to predict stuff. I mean, I was talking about back in October, I had a 2021 free agent running backs episode to try and get guys before the trade deadline hit, you know, for 2021, a year and a half ahead of time. And I know that's extremely early and I know that's hard to predict, but I still kind of, you know, want to get a a gist and, and a leg up ahead of every other podcast out there who, you know, is kind of focused on the right here, right now as the playoffs are approaching, et cetera. So we, we've seen it really pop up recently, some of these 2021 free agent running backs, right? Like mm-hmm. people have been talking about the contracts have been coming up. So I want to go back and cover it again. I've covered it a couple of times this offseason with some of my listeners, but I want to cover it with somebody else who knows the offensive line systems, and I want to see if you're on the same page that I'm on. Yeah. So I'm going to pick a handful of guys and talk about their favorite landing spots, right? Okay. The, 2021 free agent class is obviously going to be nuts, right? There are 13 bell cow backs from the team in 2019, 13 players that had significant workloads in a timeshare and eight players that saw multiple starts playing because of injuries. So we have potential teams need our starting running back. We talk about Arizona, talk about Atlanta, Cincinnati, Green Bay, Jacksonville, Kansas City, Miami, Minnesota, New Orleans, New York Jets, Pittsburgh and Seattle. Right? Okay. Now there are obviously some teams that could re-sign their guys. We know that. Minnesota's one of them, obviously with Dalvin Cook. Right? We have Cincinnati yeah. with Joe Mixon, Arizona, and Atlanta are test riding their whips, right? They're figuring right. out what's going on. But let's pretend like none of them actually re-signed their running back. Let's pretend like none okay. of this even exists, right? Let's play some roulette. Play some, right. some roulette with the running back position. I want to see where you want to see these guys land and let's see if they can, you know, be this. We, if we can be on the same wavelength. 
All right, okay. we're going to start out with a few top tier guys. And I'm going to start out just so that the audience knows the kind of direction we're going in. And I'm going to say my example is going to be Aaron Jones going to Arizona. Right? He's the perfect okay. fit, which we talked about earlier. He's the perfect fit, and he's an upgrade from Kenyon Drake, in my opinion. I think that Cliff Kingsbury gets erect just thinking about him every time. Right? Everything <laughs> from his size to his burst to his agility like screams Cardinals. And we know Cliff yep. Kingsbury. He wants to hear scream. That guy's excited. He wants to hear a scream. Now, if Aaron Jones <laughs> can succeed in a wide zone run scheme, I'm pretty sure he'd be scary, scary good for the Cardinals. Do you think there's a better landing spot in mind for Aaron Jones? Oof. Man, that's a pretty sexy landing spot. Um, the only other ones that, especially off of this list, that I could even say maybe uh, being a good fit would potentially be New Orleans. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that him and Alvin Kamara, even though I think Alvin Kamara is uh, a much better version of Aaron Jones, I don't think they're crazy dissimilar. No, uh, I football that's, players. Literally in fantasy football discussion, we had a big debate earlier. There was like over like 200 comments about uh-huh. if Aaron Jones and Alvin Kamara would be a better fit in Arizona than their current situations right now. And that was like, that was my argument. I was like, that was my post. I was like, dude, these two yeah. guys are ideal fits. Arizona. Yep. I just I went with Aaron Jones for this one. Yep. Yeah. So that was the only other one that I think could maybe. Uh, it's tough to know about Miami exactly how all of that is going to play out right that now. That would be sexy. Um, but I could see I could see Miami as one too. Uh, you know, with a mobile quarterback into uh, um, they're they're doing some good things with that offensive line. They invested heavily in the draft on their offensive line. So I could see Aaron Jones in Miami as a possibility too. I just don't know that they would be willing to spend that money. They, you know, they could have drafted a bunch of running backs this year, but I think they're kind of waiting to try to build their core on the line uh, and, and on defense before they really worry about the luxury positions. I see what you're doing. You're cheating off my show sheet. You're, off your show sheet? No way. You're cheating because I have Alvin Kamara next and I have Miami being my, my destination. You're saying Aaron Jones, you're cheating. That's hilarious. I honestly did not even <laughs> scroll that far down. I swear. <laughs> All right, so I Alvin swear. Kamara for you. Where you got Alvin Kamara going? <laughs> All right. <laughs> you're cheating. Well, All right, well, let's mix it up. Let's say here, here's one that uh, is not on your show sheet, uh, but I could actually see uh, a perfect scenario for Alvin Kamara would be going to Cincinnati. Um, I think that with what they're doing with Joe Burrow, that air raid type system that they're going to be running, they're going to be wanting a guy that is good catching the ball out of the backfield, good moving lateral in space, similar to Clyde Edwards Lair. Uh, I think they're going to run it very, very similar because it's basically you have Cliff Kingsbury, who is is somewhat of a disciple uh, from, from uh, our, our guy over in, um, uh, why, why can't I think of his name in Cincinnati right now? Uh, their head coach, uh, Zach Taylor, Zach Taylor, you know, they were, they were both boys with McVay. Um, so I could see that being a possibility. Dude. But God. Yeah. That's sexy. That's sexier than Miami. <laughs> that's sexier than Miami. It really is. That I think is, you could work out. Man. If he can make, Clyde Edwards Lair good. When we talk about Joe Burrow, mm-hmm. I'm just my concern is like, all right, so Joe Mixon's shown durability. Like he's gotten hit right. over and over again. And he's had no like, you know, no leverage. His offensive line has been completely dissipated. Like it's brutal 
brutal over there in Cincinnati, and I don't know that Alvin Kamara can stand up to the workload, but when it comes to skill-wise, that's a sexy place, man. That's it would a, be a good fit. It would be a really good fit with what they're trying to do, getting the ball down the field. Oh, I love that. All right. On to Kareem Hunt. I, I still believe that Kareem Hunt is actually an elite talent and an elite option, and I think he's going to be the cheapest option when it comes to the elite running backs that could hit free agency in 2021. So where do you think he could go? Um, and I'm not going to look at your list anymore. No, no, you can look, sure. you can look, you can look. I was just fucking with you. It, take All your right, pick. let me see. Let me see what you, what you have here. You can pick my you guy. Got him in Jacksonville. Jacksonville would make sense. Um, you know, him and him and Leonard Fournette are not too crazy to similar. The first name that came to mind for me though, was Seattle. Uh, I think he'd be a really good fit in Seattle. Uh, they want a guy that you know, one of their, their struggles has been uh, durability. Kareem Hunt has been the picture of health so far uh, in his career. He's a good pass catcher out of the backfield, so they can use him on all three downs. And he doesn't have the fumbling issues that Chris Carson has. So I think he'd be a really good fit with Russell Wilson. I like that. I like that. Unfortunately, I don't know if that – I mean, they run the ball a ton, don't get me wrong, but with Sonny Michelle – or not Sonny Michelle, um, uh, Rashad Penny there, you know, and the added pass catching backs that they have, I mean, what's his upside in Seattle? Like, is he really going to do better than Chris Carson, who doesn't shy away from contact, who pounds up the middle? And, and I'm not saying that Kareem Hunt doesn't do that. Well, Chris Carson's but, contract is up as well. I know. I'm just saying, is he better? Is he going to do better than what Chris Carson did? Because Chris Carson was I, ideal for that offense. I think so. I think as, as far as toughness and durability, I mean, you look at Kareem Hunt's contact balance and, you know, you could put that up there with, with the, some of the best, most talented running backs in, in the league. But what, what he can do, which Carson can't, is, is catch the football. And not that Carson can't catch the football, they just don't um, but he's much more. They, they don't, don't throw to. it a lot to their running back. Um, not they until really Travis don't. Homer came in, he got like 10 targets in like the playoffs or something like that. Yeah. Now, granted, my boy, uh, my boy, DJ Dallas is over there. So oh, in a perfect God. world, DJ Dallas becomes becomes the man. But so you have uh, DJ but, Dallas over Travis Homer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oof. Oof. By quite a bit. They uh, they invested a fourth round draft capital in him. Travis Homer was what, seventh? Yeah, yeah. But he showed he showed upside. Yeah. I think they brought him in for for pass blocking duties, essentially, on, on third downs. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm not against either, or I'm not against DJ Dallas. I just don't think that he ever gets enough utilization to become fantasy relevant. That's where I stand. I'm nervous about that as well, but uh, we know we know Carol's uh, Carol doesn't care about anything. He just who's healthy, who's available, who do I think can help me win? That's who I'll put in. You know, that's that's how Carson got the job in the first place. All right, on to my second tier guys. These are guys that are in a timeshare, were in a timeshare, or are going to be in a timeshare, and. They could continue to be in a timeshare in the future, but will still maintain fantasy relevance. So James Conner's first up on the list. I'll just go ahead and say mine off the bat. Uh, We have Philly, who he could end up going there and supporting Miles Sanders in the Jordan Howard role. You know, I don't think I like Miles Sanders. I didn't like him that much until I looked into Deuce Staley because Miles Sanders had a fumble on every 30.8 touches coming out of college. So... I didn't really like him off the bat. I don't like running backs that fumble, but with Deuce Staley being the best running back coach in the NFL, he fixed that. That still doesn't make me feel like he could be a bell cow back. Like, I don't know if he can handle all the work. So James Conner going there to take away some of the, you know, pounded out type roles, the the third and ones, the fourth and goals, that type of stuff. James Conner could fill that role and still maintain some sort of fantasy relevance. 
how do you feel about James Conner? Where do you think he goes? No, it's a good fit. He he's a much more of a, a between the tackles grinder. Um, I, we mentioned this landing spot earlier, but he would also be a very good fit for Miami. Assuming Jordan Howard isn't there next year, uh, I could see him uh, basically being exactly what Jordan Howard is, only you know slightly more athletic um, <clears throat> and maybe a little bit better pass catcher as well. Um, so I could see that as a scenario. Um, another another name that I didn't actually see on your list, but I absolutely think could be a landing spot. And if he ever wanted a starting gig, um, I could see a scenario where uh, he ends up in Houston and he could be a, he could be the starter for Houston uh with with Deshaun Watson there but you know they they traded the the world for for uh David Johnson but uh, I think they're going to be sorely disappointed <laughs> leave chris carson alone man all right <laughs> so guy up next is Marlon Mack and I'm a huge fan of Marlon Mack I really am okay. the guy was uh was it third in breakaway run rates or maybe it was first in breakaway run rate and third in evaded tackles. Sorry, I was busy looking at something else, so I didn't get the numbers ready. But uh, he was a monster, essentially, when it came to efficiency. Like, he was the complete, complete opposite of on Johnson. However, they now both have rookie running backs behind them. Marlon Mack most likely will end up being a free agent. Where do you see Marlon Mack ending up where he could benefit, you know, phenomenally? I, I don't know that he is going to get the shot to be a starter unless it's on a team um, that is, is in rebuilding mode and, you know, they just need, need somebody to fill that role. Uh, I just, with all of the talented running backs that are going to be moving uh, all of the rookies this year, there's at least three or four good ones coming in next year as well. I just don't know that he'll, he'll get that, that true starting gig, which those are becoming fewer and farther between as most teams have some form of a committee uh that they're that they're utilizing right now so um right now uh if i had to guess i i would actually really like to see him uh and not san diego but the la chargers uh and i think he could do (laughs) just fine as the compliment uh to an austin eckler you don't think joshua kelly's the dude I like Josh Kelly. Uh, I think he's fine. Uh, I think Justin Jackson's fine. Uh, I that would destroy all my hopes and dreams. That would destroy <laughs> I, I everything. Like, if it helps, I like Josh Kelly more than I like Justin Jackson. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I think he's good. I don't think he's he's special in any way. Oh man, you're killing me. <laughs> you're killing me on that. All right, I can understand it. I have him going to the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs, okay. I think it would be a perfect So you're not a believer in, in Clyde then? I don't think Clyde's a workhorse, man. Like, even if he is, uh, Michael Westbrook, or I'm sorry, Brian Westbrook. Yeah, Brian Westbrook. He was the what uh, running back one for fantasy points just two years in his entire career. So everybody's getting hyped about, oh, this guy's better than, you know, Mike or Brian Westbrook, the quote by Andy Reid. It's just, it's like, Great. That doesn't mean that there's fantasy relevance there. Because, I mean, honestly, Andy Reid, outside of, outside of Kareem Hunt, who's a bigger, more physical back than most guys he's used to working with, didn't. Like, he uses running backs by committee, from, from what I've seen. And uh, I mean, LeSean McCoy had a, had a really good career. LeSean well. McCoy was a different animal. Either way, like, a guy that, that's... A, a guy with CEH who, you know, had... 
okay workout metrics, right? Had okay college film. You know, he had a highlight reel cool, but he couldn't beat a linebacker around the corner. He couldn't beat a, a linebacker to the edge. You know, like if you look at a lot of his highlight clips, and I'm not saying all of them, but if you look at a lot of his game film, like it's him getting beat and getting pushed out of bounds when he tried around the corner. So, yeah, he has potential, he has upside, and I think he does have fantasy relevance. I'm not saying he doesn't. But I think that they need a guy who, you know, is more of a traditional, I guess, uh, you know, running back in in terms of, you know, finding the holes and and shooting through the holes versus relying on his uh, quickness and and ability to maneuver, I guess, right, his his agility. I think they need a guy that's a little bit faster, a little more powerful to assume that role. And I think that that Marlon Mack could be that guy. I mean, I mean, potentially, but I think Clyde Edwards Alaire is, is better than anything that they have now. And we're, when we're looking in real football terms, they won the Super Bowl without him. So I, I don't know that they're necessarily going to prioritize. You cannot bring up the Super Bowl right now because the MVP Why? of the Super Bowl, the, the should be MVP of the Super Bowl was Damian Williams. So I see what's happening here. You're a big Damian Williams guy. I'm not a big Damian Williams guy. I actually, so I dropped Damian Williams in 2018 <laughs> at the end of the season so I could pick up Ian Thomas. I'm not even kidding you. The, the playoffs, <laughs> there was one game until the playoffs, right? right? And I lost in the semifinal round, right? So I wasn't in the finals. And in the final, like right before the finals happened, I dropped Damian Williams and picked up Ian Thomas. That's how much of a fan I am of Damian Williams. So... <laughs> I'm not a huge Damian Williams lover, but I think sure. that they know what they have with Damian Williams. And I think that Andy Reid likes to use his certain guys in certain areas. And I don't know if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is really as good as what he's being made out to be, being on an extremely, extremely pass-dominant offense where they could not load the box against him. They couldn't. And, and he's going to the same situation or very similar situation, so I'm not trying to you know take that away. But is he really a bell cow back with subpar speed who can't beat college linebackers to the edge? Yeah, we'll see. Big plays I, I don't, are a big thing for me. I like weird. players that can generate big plays. And if you don't have that speed to, to generate big plays, I'm not typically a huge fan. You know, okay. and, and the value going forward, I don't think is, I think it's just, I think he's slightly overrated with his value. And that's just my view on things. I'm not saying that he's terrible, but you know. All right. So on the next guy, we got Philip Lindsay. Right. He's in okay. a, a, subpar situation right now some people love him some people you know think he's the bell cow back and you know melvin gordon's gonna be catching passes other people think that he's the bell cow or that melvin gordon's the bell cow back and philip Lindsay's gonna be catching passes meanwhile philip Lindsay wasn't even the guy catching passes last year it was royce freeman so right. philip Lindsay, being an undrafted free agent is scheduled to hit free agency in 2021 and I don't see them bringing him back. I think that they'll stick with Royce Freeman for another year, maybe draft another running back, and Philip Lindsay could go to another team. Where do you think Philip Lindsay would best be suited? So there's a few different places that I think he fits. The, the odd part, and I'm glad you brought it up, for being this undersized back, he's not necessarily a very good pass catching back. And so that's why everyone immediately was like, oh, he's going to be Austin Eckler in Denver. and you know, Melvin Gordon will be Melvin Gordon. And I'm like, guys, Melvin Gordon is a better pass catcher and better between the tackles. I don't think there's a role for Philip Lindsay. And so I don't know how much he's actually going to get to play this season, but I do think he's a talented player that that's got good speed. He has good vision, good instincts. And 
you know, similar to, you know, how I felt about Mac, I don't know that he'll ever have a, a true bell cow role either, but I do think he'll, he can be a significant part of a, um, of a, of a timeshare with a team. And so I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, there's, there's a few different places where I could see him going, but I could see a a scenario where he goes to a a team like a Jacksonville, but he's part of what they're doing. He's not the only thing they're doing. And so, you know, if you paired up, you know, if we wanted to take Marlon Mack down there with him or, you know, a Jordan Howard down there with him or, or something like that, I could see a situation like that where it's a team that is kind of just trying to bridge the gap. They're rebuilding, but they're, they're going to run the ball a little bit more than other teams might. I think that's where he's going to fit. I uh, actually have him going to green Bay. So okay. if they he's don't go in there and Jones roll, I can see that dude. Yeah. If, if they don't resign, you know, Williams, of course, and they don't resign Jones and Dylan is the primary back who fits in that system. It's the Tennessee Titans system, essentially with the wide right. and run scheme. Dylan's going to be the starter, in my opinion, like hands down, Dylan will be the starter. And I think that they could resign Williams, but if they don't, I think Philip Lindsay would play that, that, that role right behind AJ Dillon. And the thing is, is AJ Dillon isn't as good as Derrick Henry. I don't want people to no. think that I'm saying like AJ Dillon is just as good as Derrick Henry because that's not the case. So, I actually hated AJ Dillon's tape. Oh, I loved um, his tape. I was shocked when he got taken in the second round. I like, loved his tape. Oh, I hated it. He looks so bad, but he's so good. Like he was he like, <laughs> oh my God, man. He was the most non-graceful. Like like his running style is just terrible, but Look at how like how dominant he was while looking bad. He looked well, bad, but the thing is, he actually had a pretty good offensive line, and the ACC has some not very good defenses. And for a guy that's as big as he is, he ran with very very little power, which was fascinating to me. Um, so he's got better feet uh, than than you would think of out of a guy that big. Um, but but I didn't see. Uh, the the strength the muscle the you know i'm gonna bowl guys over you saw it on a highlight play or two but overall it was first defender i'm getting i'm falling forward because i'm bigger and stronger but <laughs> i'm not making it i'm not doing that much okay well that means that it, there's even more available workload for phil Lindsay. absolutely absolutely all right so last group of guys all right, right? and then i'm gonna go to i actually am I'm, yeah we'll do the last group of guys see where we end up uh, these are guys that need a shot, but could carve out a fantasy role. Like they could be fantasy okay. relevant on the tail end. And the first one's going to be Dari Ungamawale. He's a good work pronouncing that last name. Oh, dude. That was good work. It took me like 10 podcasts to actually get it because <laughs> I used to talk about him DFS all the time. And I do sure. three DFS episodes a week. So it was, uh, yeah, it took me, it took me like probably three weeks to get that right i butchered it you can ask my my listeners it was bad but <laughs> but but dare Ungumbawale, right he actually i love him this year i love him this year i think he, he's my favorite when it comes to, to adp and values plus production he's my favorite running back in that tampa bay buccaneers backfield so if he becomes a free agent right because he's a yep. erfa where do you see him ending up? 
I actually think a perfect uh, a perfect landing spot for him would be actually coming to my city. I think he would be a great fit uh, with the Ooh. Cleveland Browns because Ooh. Kareem Hunt is more than likely gone. And although Nick Chubb is a better pass catcher than he's given credit for, yep. that's not his best skill set. So give some give us somebody that's a little bit more of a specialist in that area, and I think that would be a good home for him. Wait, what is this? Could you be? <laughs> Fuck no, dude. His sister's like a like one of the best players in in professional uh, WNBA sports, right? Or something? No, no, wait. Maybe she plays overseas, or maybe she was in the WNBA. I, I didn't know the sister was a baller, so uh, I dude, love it. So I think she was in the WNBA, and when everything happened, she went overseas to play basketball or something along those lines. But yeah, she's a baller. She was on what Connecticut, like for the national championship team. I don't remember. Can you? Hey, Matt. Or Dingus Four, could you please get us the backstory so I can put it up here go. on the podcast? All right, I am going to New Orleans because I don't think that the uh, Saints actually re-sign Alvin Kamara. I don't see how sure, that contract works out. I just, I, I just don't see how they could do it without cutting massive, massive amounts of of starters on their team. So, Darian Gumbawale going in to be the perfect complement for for Murray. Latavius Murray, I think, would be a great marriage. Mm-hmm. All right. On yeah, to Mike Boone. Mike Boone, I think, is one of the most underrated third stringers in the entire league. The dude's sure. a powerhouse, right? So, obviously, if they re-signed Alvin Cook, where do you think he ends up? Or where do you think would be the best fit for him? You know... Uh, another guy, obviously from here on out, they're kind of all committee guys or some specialists, but, uh, you know, give him, give him a shot to like really earn a role, uh, with the New York jets. Hopefully, uh, Gase is gone and Le'Veon Bell's gone. And, uh, let's, let's give him a shot to see what he can do with, with Sam Darnold and, and hopefully some up and coming receivers like Denzel Mims. See, I love him going to Seattle to replace Chris Carson. Like you talked about Kareem Hunt earlier, but. Sure. Boone is like the ideal big, con- big time it. contact dude who can take hits and keep moving. I love Mike Boone, man. Like, I, I almost hope that Dalvin Cook doesn't resign so that all my Mike Boone shares will actually become relevant because Alexander Madison can become, can become the pass catching back while Mike Boone becomes the, you know, the powerhouse. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> all right. Last guy for this section, Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards, and it could be a product or you know a a benefit of the product situation, system. but he was a product of his environment. I mean, he averaged what like eight yards a carry through through some games. Like he was an absolute monster, and he had what over hundred yards in in at least one game. I want to say it was close to three total. As a guy that came in to relieve him in the fourth quarter, you know, back before Mark Ingram, he still had some relevance. What do you think happens with Gus Edwards? Uh, I honestly, I'm not as big on Gus Edwards. I think he, he just continues to be a depth guy somewhere. Uh, but I'm not sure that he's ever going to carve out a, a fantasy relevant role. Uh, if he were to do that, um, you know, it, it could be, it would probably be behind like one of these, these star running backs. It would, he would be like a good handcuff to one of those types of guys. Um, but I'm not sure that he ever gets like a truly fantasy relevant role. Yeah. I mean, I have him once again over there with, uh, with the Kansas city chiefs. 
You know, okay. if, if they decide, like, if Clyde Edwards does really, really well, but they still feel like they need a goal line back. I can see that. You know, I feel like he could still, you know, go there and, and be fantasy relevant. Yeah, play that role. So, I have, is it showing it right now? Is it showing the? Yeah. Cool. I have the rankings for you and your rookies. There we go. We, uh, we talked about, you know, Clyde edwards Lair, obviously. And I just came up with an article for Dynasty Nerds talking about DeAndre Swift. Okay. Now, DeAndre Swift, from what I saw, and I could be dead wrong because I'm being told that I'm wrong, but DeAndre <laughs> Swift coming out of college prior to the combine, I felt like was the 101 for, for most people's opinions. And was I wrong with that? No, I mean, the, the hard part was there was kind of a three-headed monster, and it was, it was tough to from person to person who really thought they were the best between Jonathan Taylor, JK Dobbins, DeAndre Swift pre-draft for me, I had a JK Swift Taylor. Um, now all three of them were really, really close. And I think all three of them are incredibly talented backs. I just think JK and Swift were the least scheme dependent of those guys. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, Swift, whew, dude, his agility is through the roof. He's, you know, his speed obviously didn't show on the combine, which was really kind of, you know, head scratching. But I, I felt like he was a lot faster on film than what he was, you know, at the combine. And I just I, I looked across and I thought that Swift was was the obvious one one. But I also checked other sites and they said the same thing prior to the combine. Yep. We haven't seen, at least to, to my knowledge, a running back that was the one one ever fall to the running back one oh four. I mean, can you yeah. think of a time that that ever happened? Man, um, I, I'm talking about running back rankings too. Like, right, you know, we went right. through a hot spot back in like 2015 where, you know, LaCron Treadwell and, and other guys in that range were being drafted as like the 102s. But when it came to running back rankings, we've never seen a running back drop from the number one running back on the roster to the number four running back on the roster. Right. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it is weird. And and that's the that's the nice part about this year is, you know, when you're seeing the the best and worst there, obviously they're same because they're only my rankings. That's that's me telling you that I think all four of those running backs are top 30 players as rookies. Um, so I'm, I'm taking all of those guys uh, fairly early. And it, it's it's tough because even at 25 and 29, even though I think I'm probably higher than consensus, that still feels like too low for me for, for guys that are as talented as Dobbins and Swift. Yeah, I mean, I, dude, I think that DeAndre Swift actually landed in the second best potential landing spot ahead of Clyde edwards Uh And his talent's higher as well. I think that Jonathan Taylor obviously landed in the best, at least for this year upcoming with Phillip Rivers always passing the running back. But uh, DeAndre Swift, like the culture's changing for the Lions. And I talked about in this article how there's been four total years in the past 40 years where the Lions have drafted two or more offensive linemen in the first four rounds. Two of those years came during the Matt Patricia regime. So literally 50% of the, yep. the years happened you know, with, with in the past 40 years where they drafted two or more offensive linemen. Their offensive linemen are shaping up, man. This offensive line yeah. is getting better, and Matt Patricia wants to run. He's a defensive-minded head coach. Why is DeAndre Swift getting that disrespect, man? Why is he below you, or below uh, Clyde Oderslayer and, and J.K. Dobbins? 
Well, here's the thing for Dobbins. I, I think people miss how good of a situation Dobbins went into as well. Um, and we don't have the worry of carry on Johnson uh, with, with Dobbins. It's Mark Ingram's there, but he's, he's a 30 year old running back that is, you know, could be gone at any point. And JK Dobbins literally this the, year for 10 million with zero dead cap space. Say that again. They can actually cut him uh, 2021. Uh, save $10 million with zero. Yeah. With zero dead cap space. Yep. So, I mean, chances are he's gone after this season. Um, but really the only major knock on JK Dobbins coming in were people saying, man, they they love the RPO at Ohio state. What's going to happen when JK Dobbins doesn't get put with an athletic quarterback <laughs> and, and, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then he gets put with the, the better version of Justin Fields with Lamar Jackson in an RPO offense. So I, I think he's absolutely going to eat. Uh, and Clyde Edwards Alaire, I know you don't love him between the tackles and I can understand that but his PPR floor is just crazy crazy high Um, the amount of catches that he's going to be able to get um, are are going to insulate a lot of the risk for him so maybe you won't have some of the crazy high weeks that Dobbins Swift and Taylor will have but he's a very very safe player um, for for what you're getting and when you're drafting a guy that high you got to make sure you don't miss Um, so I think that's what really helps but I'm with you on you know, the DeAndre Swift has gotten to the point where he's like now also getting taken behind CD and Jalen Rager. And then some people put Cam Akers <laughs> ahead of him. And, oh, you know, it, it, it's getting really disrespectful. The Cam Akers. Um, he's just too talented of a player. Hype train is it's just ridiculous, in my opinion. I don't get it. He loves him. Of course, this guy right here. No, I don't get it. All right, I'm going to get you out of here, man. We're going to finish up this show. We've been going now for an hour and 15 minutes on my second live show of the night. Yeah, so I'm sure you're dragging. I'm, uh, I'm not too bad, man. I, I do, I've done longer shows. But I want to get you out of one last question. All right, hit me. What's your most unpopular opinion for both fantasy and non-fantasy separately? My most unpopular opinion for fantasy right now is probably that JJ Arcega white side is good. No. Yep. No. Yep. JJ Arcega white side is a good football player. I don't even want to hear your non fantasy (laughs) opinion. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh man. I already, I'm already falling off on you with the Jalen Rager ranking, but come on. Oh, Jalen Rager. The, there's going to be nobody that gets more more uh, targets in this class uh, than Jalen Rager. Is there a worse team at developing wide receivers in the NFL than the Philadelphia Eagles? That's a, yeah, they, they have not done great so far. That's absolutely uh, they true. They did bring up a, uh, what's his name, Aaron Moorhead? I can't remember. There's a head, They brought in a, a new, for like the fourth time in four years, they brought in a new wide receivers coach. Can't remember his name. If Shane was here, he could help us out. But I think his name is Aaron Moorhead, if I remember correctly. But still, I mean, they oh, they do such a bad job. Like, I feel like he's Nelson Aguilar 2.0. I really do. Uh, he drops passes. Like uh, Before that, they did all right with Deshaun Jackson and uh, Jeremy Mack. That was like 15 years ago. <laughs> hey, Deshaun Jackson's still in the league, my man. <laughs> 15 years later. <laughs> he's still kicking. Um, but no, here's the thing about, about J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. They had this guy learn in three different positions, which is is really, really difficult for, for a rookie to do. He was playing through injury. Uh, and Alshon Jeffrey, as we can see, is, is ready to be put out to pasture. Uh, so he's going to have every opportunity. And I, I loved his ability. He was a good route runner. He boxed out like 
like a true basketball player. He has basketball roots uh, from his family as well. Uh, great at high pointing the football, very strong off the line. He, he had, he had a bad break last year. Uh, things, things did not go well. Uh, but I, but I absolutely could see him being, uh, the day one starter this year, uh, for, for the Philadelphia Eagles in their at their ex wide receiver position. Really? God, that's a hot take. That's the hottest take I've heard. All right. Oh, I put a thread on it the other day. You, you should go check it out. Oh man. Tag me in the re tag me in and I'll, I'll retreat it for you. Retweet it. Retweet it. Retweet it. I'll retweet it for you. I'll retreat delete it. it. I will delete like a it for you. Piece of lumber. <laughs> all right. On to uh, on to your other take or on to your unpopular. Oh yeah. All right. So non fantasy football hot take. Right. Um. Let's see. Oh, okay. Here we go. Um. I would say that hot rod is one of the most underrated comedies of all time. I fucking love that movie. So good, dude. That's what on my show. I'm just telling you right now. That's going to be the last thing that's said before I go, I cut to, uh, before I cut to my outtake. I'm just letting you know right now. That's going to, we're going to end the show on that. Dude. I love that movie. So good. Love it. Absolutely. So good. All right, guys, if you want to find Garrett price, you want to put in your plug for everything that you do real quick? Yeah, all of my stuff is uh, is, is with Dynasty Nerds. Uh, we have a podcast. We do two podcasts a week. One is a, the free show. And then we have one that if you join the Nerd Herd for just three bucks a month, you get that. You get all of our rankings. Uh, we have an incredible, incredible tool that we're launching that you'll get for free um, this coming coming week hopefully it'll be launched uh by by saturday fingers crossed but um uh then i'm on twitter uh oh man dingus that was beautiful that's perfect <laughs> i love it uh but uh yeah you can you can find uh me on twitter at dynasty price i'm, I'm usually talking talking something uh about uh whether it's about players or schemes and and uh i do a show as well called uh, faith and fantasy football something that i put out uh periodically we're in the second season of that uh but i think yeah i think that's all my stuff dude whoa oh shit i just clicked on what happened oh i'm good all right no i uh I clicked on my Facebook for a second and I had our posts up. So I was hearing you repeat yourself talk and I thought oh. you were like repeating everything that was going on. It's like, fuck? <laughs> anyways, anyways, now I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. If you guys want to follow me on my FF underscore intervention, of course, make sure you guys check out our Facebook page with fantasy football discussion. We have over 19,000 members and a lot of you guys were listening tonight. So, appreciate it, guys. Thank you all for listening, and thank you for letting us intervene with your fantasy football life. Hey, my mom dope, my niggas is dope, switch up a stove, pick up a stove, they feeling away, they know I'm the goat. That's how you bang a podcast.